Welcome to Strength for Tomorrow Radio with me, Stuart Thompson. You are most welcome. If this is your first time listening, you might want to know what you've gotten yourself into. So basically, we've got a gym here in Warren Point, County Down, Northern Ireland, to be specific. It's called Cross Functional Fitness. We've been here for just over five years, and this podcast has been running for nearly a year now. And the reason I started it was not because I wanted to be Joe Rogan or Howard Stern or any of those dudes, but Basically, I wanted to create another stream of information, another way that people can access quality information and to build a body of work that will outlast me and potentially the gym and basically to provide my own clients with more information on the issues that will help them reach their goals. But also for you, for anyone else who is listening, um, whoever decides to listen and needs help, it's for you as well. So it's about a lot of stuff that um, I discuss with my clients every week, but also it's lots of stuff that I wish I had more time to discuss in sessions. But unfortunately, we're here to train, right? So when you're training, you don't want to listen to me rabbiting on and giving a lecture about nutrition. So there's not some nutrition take on this podcast, and that's what we're going to talk about today a little bit more. Training is for training. Um, if you want to get outside information, this is a good place to go. There's also like Facebook groups and things like that. If you're interested in, I'll put a, a link in the show notes and you can get involved. So I kind of like breaking down my own philosophy and thinking on training and programming and nutrition. My reasons for my attitude and my approaches to kind of justify them and make them logical to you as a potential client or as a current client and for anybody else who needs help. So sometimes we'll have guests on, I usually try and get them on about once a month, but we're going through a bit of a dry spell at the moment, because, just because everybody's so busy, who would like to get on, and as am I, as is the gym, but just it's really good to get an outside perspective, and so that I can learn myself as well, and get fresh ideas, fresh knowledge, and just to challenge my thinking as much as anything. So, let's get started. So what is a fat loss food? Now, you've probably heard of things like superfoods or zero calorie foods. They're not the same thing, but they're these marketing phrases, right? And they were popular for a few years. So a couple of years ago, you might remember that blueberries were one. People said blueberries are a superfood. You got to eat blueberries because they're a superfood. Now, blueberries are a great, great source of lots of stuff, lots of minerals, vitamins, fiber, but they're not what makes them a superfood marketing that's what makes it a superfood good marketing um what goji berries as well i think they were on a few years ago everyone was on goji get goji berries get them from deepest darkest africa or from uh, the middle of um like south america get your goji berries into you there's loads of antioxidants in them you got to get them into you and again just clever marketing worked for a few years drove the price up people paid for it people thought is he gonna this is the key to eternal life i'm gonna get some goji berries and blueberries um, zero calorie foods unfortunately those are another it's another marketing term and i'm going to level with you before we go any further there's no such thing as fat loss foods per se now before you turn me off before you just turn it over and say ah Stuart, you conned me into listening to you your clickbait title fat loss foods how dare you never listen to you again hear me out okay so fat loss foods there are some foods that are going to make fat loss easier and there are other foods that are going to make fat loss more difficult based upon the fact that some foods 
keep you feeling full. Some foods fill you up and enable you to be in a calorie deficit without too much trouble, without starving yourself, without feeling deprived. There are other foods that you might eat um, a lot of them in energy terms, but less so in volume terms, and they will not fill you up and you'll always be hungry. We're going to get into the details more in a, in a minute, but first of all, I think it's, impor it's important to discuss why there's no such thing as zero calorie food. So people might go, oh, but carrots and celery, those are zero calorie foods. They require more energy to digest them than they do in themselves, than they contain. And I get where you're coming from, but it's still incorrect. Every, every morsel of food you put into your mouth has calories. It contains calories. If you're eating a food that doesn't have calories in it, it's not a food. That's, that's the, you know, okay, that's, that's kind of the, the definition of food. Um, you know you get zero calorie coke and things it's not you know, what is coke it's just chemicals isn't it <laughs> it's a bunch of chemicals together now I don't even know how they make it zero calorie it's kind of scary in one sense but if weight loss is your main goal and you're morbidly obese it, it, it is a, probably a clever decision to actually take the zero calorie soft drink instead of the full fat one if that is your particular downfall now you're, for health reasons, you're probably going to be better not taking any of them. Drink some water, drink some milk or something that's actually uh, natural and useful. But that aside, I think it's important to state that from the outset that there's no such thing as zero calorie foods. And there's no such things as fat loss foods. I'm not intending on starting another marketing campaign to sell more of a certain type of food. I'm just going to tell you why these work from a scientific point of view and from a psychological point of view as well. So... There's lots and lots of people, whenever they decide they want to lose weight, they will start to eat certain things and they'll stop eating other things. So they'll try it at least anyway, they'll try it for a while. Now, there's lots of people who will sway towards products, you know, ones that'll say low fat, or they'll try and eat salads every day or eat special K or something that's been marketed and branded as healthy on the TV or in the, you know, the magazines or social media or whatever an influencer has told you. Now, if I had a pound for every person who ever told me that they have started eating salads after you know finding out that I'm a personal trainer, oh, I'm trying to lose a bit of weight here, I'm, I'm starting to eat salads for lunch every day, I would probably have about 128 pounds by now, gathered up. No joke, loads. It's loads, isn't it? That's probably about one week's heating oil or electricity in 2020, just in relative terms, just for perspective, you know. And part of me wants to scream, anyone ever hear that, because it, it's it's frustrating because that's that's the that's what's been sold to people that salads are healthy. Salads make you lose weight, and we're gonna discuss in a little minute why that is not the case most of the time. Just a little caveat there. But yeah, screaming out loud is not socially acceptable in the West. So instead, I will maybe ask them things like I'll ask them questions about their salad, and uh, one of the thing one of the questions I will ask them is, did you did you put anything in the salad? Was there much chicken in the salad? Was there meat in the salad? And I want to get into why that why that is. First up, one way to help you get into a calorie deficit. Well, actually, we'll break down just for somebody listening who's who's not clear on what you need to do to be able to lose fat. You need to be in a calorie deficit, okay? So if your body requires just from doing your daily activities, from you know getting up in the morning, going to work, driving, eating, sleeping, just respiring, breathing, brain activity, everything, just living. Okay, say you need 2,000 calories per day just to maintain your current current size, shape, weight, whatever. 
you need to make sure that you're consuming less than 2,000 calories per day. Now, that doesn't mean you should eat 800 calories. Like, who, Michael Mosley, is that the guy? He says he eats 800 calories a day. Yeah, that's not going to lead to eating disorders. Um, That's too low. That's that's enough for a child or someone who's very, very, very frail or elderly, who doesn't have much of a freedom to start with, who isn't very active and who's very small and probably quite weak as well. 800 calories is not enough for a man or woman. And your calorie deficit needs to be sensible. So if you need, if you require 2,000 calories to be um, in maintenance, just to maintain where you're at, you probably don't want to be going any lower than 1,500, 1,600 probably. And if you're doing exercise, you're probably going to want to keep it um, a little closer to that 2,000 mark, but you still want to be in a calorie deficit. Okay, so just because you need 2,000 to maintain and your Fitbit is telling you, oh, you've burnt 500 calories in that session, that means that doesn't mean you can suddenly bunk up your calories 2,200, 2,300. Now, this is where it gets a little bit tricky and it's very individualized and very personal, but this is based upon algorithms. So that's why it's important to track and that's why it's important to adjust it as you go, not just about what MyFitnessPal or any of those other apps will say. And uh, hopefully I'm speaking your language, hopefully you know what I'm talking about here. There's a whole episode on fat loss, but I want to get that out of the way. First, you need to be in a calorie deficit to achieve fat loss. Now there's an easy way to do this and a hard way to do this. If you're only concentrating on eating leafy salads and like really really low calorie foods but neglecting to include protein and fiber in those foods you're gonna be hungry all the time you're gonna be angry all the time you're gonna be in such a bad mood you're gonna be a nightmare to live with and you're probably gonna give up pretty soon and that's what happens lots of people so many people because they've been told that you should eat salads you want to lose weight eat salads instead of being told you should probably eat some steak you should probably eat lots and lots of chickens you should pluck the chickens cook the chickens eat the chickens sorry if that's too graphic but you get my drift we've been we've been missold we've been sold a lie in in mainstream media any any men, men's health magazine women's health magazine almost all of them will, will focus and they have done for the last well since i was born or before it focused on eating eating salads and I know plant-based is a really popular thing right now. And <laughs> I read a quote the other day. Arnold Schwarzenegger says that he he now eats 80% plant-based. Which is great. Because I think lots of lots of plants are good. If you can eat lots of veggies, great. There's lots of vitamins, minerals, fiber in lots of vegetables. But plant-based is not synonymous with healthy. And plant-based is also not synonymous with a calorie deficit. You could be, in a, you could be plant-based and be in a calorie surplus very, very easily. Wheat is plants. Um, corn or plants there's lots of things that are plants but you can get your calories excessively high just by eating plants and you know you could be you could be in a calorie deficit and be starving or you could be in a calorie deficit and be so satisfied and so full up and we're going to get into why that is and what um, you need to be eating to make the latter happen so have you ever tell me this applies to you you've consumed a huge huge meal for breakfast a couple of bowls of cheerios i don't know some sort of cereal and then all of a sudden 40 minutes later you're really really hungry or you have you have cheerios for breakfast right hear me out you have cheerios for breakfast you have a salad for lunch and then you have some sort of a low fat i don't know fat like what, what do you call them weight weight watchers or something like that's 
own brand meal for dinner and then 40 minutes later you're absolutely starving again you feel so hungry if this has happened to you the chances are that you are not selecting the right foods with an appropriate satiety index now without getting too complicated there's not really a league table maybe there is there's a league table of like satiety um what i want to talk about is the importance of high satiety foods why you need to be including as many of them into your diet as possible and how, and what they're going to do for you and then i'll give you some examples some top probably the top four is that okay so why is satiety important why why is picking high satiety foods important so if you go into any supermarket any shop you're gonna get lots and lots of food to choose from you're gonna go in this is gonna be full right and all the things that are in boxes anything you get in a packet or a box is probably not a high satiety food okay if you go around the edge and this is this is this is this is blew my mind this is kind of applies to every supermarket in this country and certainly other countries i've been to but if you go around the edge of the shop you've got your fruit you've got your veg um okay i might change a little bit but most shops have their fruit their veg and you go in and then you go on around they've got like kind of the bread and stuff like that and they've got all their meat maybe at the back and then maybe they've got their their dairy stuff down the other side and yeah i realize that that maybe changes from shop to shop but as vast majority of shops that's the way they're let out right if you think about it most of the uh processed things are in the middle in the middle on the, in the aisles there so whenever you go for these processed foods they're they're a lot less satiating they keep you satisfied for a lot less time so they'll have really poor nutrition profiles they have very little fiber very little protein probably filled with sugar and uh, processed sugar and okay they might feel good taste good at the time do you think they're filling you up like i take a mars bar for example take a snickers take any any chocolate bar right you think oh i'll take this here i'm feeling starving i'll eat this this will fill me up now it might fill you up for about 15 minutes and then you'll be starving again because it's literally sugar you're eating it's it's essentially sugar that you're putting into your body there and it's what happens is it's digested and it's processed really really quickly and it hits your bloodstream and then you're <gasps> you go crazy you go nuts and then you come down and you think i'm still hungry i need another one so that's why if you've got a multi-pack in your house <laughs> good night they're gone they're gonna be gone you can just keep eating them that's why you can keep eating foods like that because they're not very satiety and they're very very low on the satiety scale on that index so if they're not meeting your nutritional needs it means your body's going to be asking for more and more it's going to be sending those hunger signals and you're going to keep feeding that junk until you go to bed and then you're going to do it all again the next day so that's why it's important to have high satiety in foods in your house in abundance whether it's your fruit basket, whether it's your vegetables, whether it's lots and lots of protein, meat, um, eggs. We're going to get into it now, but it's not to say that, you know, all of these processed foods are inherently fattening in themselves. There was a, there was a huge study done there a few years back where um, they found that people who who kept themselves in a calorie deficit, even though their, their, all their, their diet just consisted of junk food, they lost a load of weight. They lost so much weight. Now a lot of it might have been muscle tissue, fair enough, because there was very little protein in it. And they were out of shape, the guys that were in the, the study, but they they lost so much weight and they were just eating like the biggest, sweetest, sugariest <laughs> junk food you can imagine. But a calorie deficit was still there, so they still lost weight. Now, is that 
is that something you could do long term? Probably not. You're probably going to give in and crack and overeat on it sooner or later. But it just shows you that those foods are not what makes fat, it does not what causes fat to, to, to grow in your body in excess. It's whenever you're in a calorie surplus for most of the time. That's what happens. So what happens is it means you just eat more of them and it's easier to overeat on those types of foods because they don't fill you up because you can just keep feeding on them but your energy is, is going up even though the volume of food you're eating is very very little so this is why it's important to pick satiating foods because you want to be feeling full you want to be feeling satisfied for as long as possible after every meal otherwise you're going to be more tempted to snack on those sugary processed high calorie foods that we all know about sugar um sugary foods like you know your your bars of chocolate your your crisps all of that stuff all that junk um cake <laughs> you, you all know it right i'm just thinking of it now and i'm like oh it tastes so good but if we're, if we're eating them regularly if we're eating them every day guess what our waistline is going to start expanding so it means we need to fulfill our nutritional needs otherwise our body's going to keep craving those good nutrients and if we're not going to feed it we're going to opt for something else so that's why it's important to have these things prepared because generally satiating foods do take a little bit more preparation they do take a little bit more planning a bit more thought behind them than the processed sugary packaged foods which you just rip open and, and down so you want to make sure that your body has has all it needs to sustain healthy function and what actually brings satiety? Basically, every sensation or bodily signal in us is closely related with a balance of certain hormones. So there's a chemical reaction occurs whenever we eat food. A chemical reaction takes place in our body. So more specifically, for appetite and satiety, leptin and ghrelin seem to be the most predominant um, hormones involved in this process. So the macronutrients that you get from your foods, so your protein, your carbs, and your fat, that um, you know, they're kind of the most effect, the most effective ones for um, inducing this feeling of satiety, is protein and fat. Carbohydrates, as we said, it's essentially sugar, but protein and fat are the ones which will um, keep us feeling most satisfied. That's why things like the Atkins diet can be really, really successful. For a lot of people at least in the short term now telling someone they're never going to have carbs again is a different matter but for a short term for six weeks eight weeks 12 weeks there's a lot of people get a lot of success with that they get a lot of weight off some of it's water weight some of it is fat and there's no denying that i mean people can pick fun at those sort of um diets all the time but there's no denying that they do work in the short term and the reason they work is because of that protein and fat are highly effective to keep us feeling satisfied so the problem is um fatty foods if you're if you're if you take too much of it you're gonna start increasing your calories right so it's trying to rely more on the protein which is going to fill us up and a little bit less on the fats because of how, how the high density of calories that they have um, per gram so for this reason it is really is of prime importance that we meet our daily protein needs and our daily fat needs because they do play such an essential role in how hungry we'll feel throughout the day. And our hunger is what dictates it, right? Our hunger a lot of times is what causes us to overeat, especially if we're really on point with our, our nutrition. It's whenever we feel starving that we crack and we just want to grab some food from somewhere, right? So if you're if you're just thinking of you're hunger hungry all the time, your stomach's sore, hungry, it's all you can think about. 
you're you're not gonna want to train. You're gonna feel weak. You're gonna feel just. You're not gonna be able to concentrate on anything until you get that satisfied, and it's probably gonna be junk food. Whereas if you've got a plan in place, if you've got food in place, and you know you're gonna have a big, huge, healthy dinner full of protein, full of fiber, you're gonna be a lot in a lot better place than if you uh, if you just grab like a ready meal or like a pizza or something that's not gonna really fill you up for very long. So what are the most satiating foods? Without further ado, let's get stuck into it. Get your notepad out if you need to. It's only four though, should be remember. But if you go to any any shop, basically you'll be able to get these foods. Go to the butchers, go wherever. They're pretty readily available. They're not some obscure things like goji berries you have to go to the jungle to find. First of all, number one is beef. Okay, red meat. Now, if you read the Daily Mail, if you read any of those newspapers, they're going to tell you how bad red meat is for you and we shouldn't be eating it and you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, my first bit of advice is don't read newspapers. My second bit of advice is look into how beneficial beef actually is for us for lots and lots of reasons. And by the way, ribeye is your is your go to. Ribeye steak is just oh, it's just incredible, isn't it? Sirloin's good too, but ribeye are just oh, that was and the more marbly apparently the more marbled effect to your steak, the better it's going to taste and the better it will be. So as we said, protein and fat is your best source of satiety. Those are the ingredients, if you want to think of it like that. They're the nutrients that are going to keep you feeling full. So things like steaks, high quality meats, so things that are high in, high in uh, protein and lower in fat. All red meat's got fat in it pretty much. Even the low fat beef mints has got fat in it. It just has. Even if it's low fat, it's still got fat in it. So if you can do get lean get the leanest cuts of meat, obviously don't eat the fat if possible. Stick to the protein. But there's so many good nutrients, B vitamins, you've got um iron and like, there's so many good minerals and vitamins in beef. And uh, if you cook them, cook them well. Bit of, bit of salt, bit of pepper. Pepper's optional actually. I heard other people, some people saying the pepper's not great for them, but boys are dear taste good, doesn't it? Um, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be really beneficial for you if you're trying to stay full, if you're always waking up hungry, and you know you've had your your Cheerios for breakfast or you've had your cocoa pops, and you're it rolls around lunchtime you're thinking oh I'm gonna have a delicious salad now, stick a steak with it as my advice okay so have your salad go easy in the dressing in fact scrap the dressing, and have a steak with it, that'll be my advice. If you if you you can't like. <laughs> I'm not saying you can't. Most people can't stomach steak first thing in the morning. I know I couldn't. But we'll get to another option you can have for breakfast. But steak is... Just try it. Try it. If you find after you've had a steak that you still want to eat sugary foods, you still want to like, binge and snack and junk food, another piece of advice would be, if you need my advice, is to don't buy the junk food in the first place. Other second piece of advice is to eat more steak. Get another steak. Eat steak until you don't want to eat anything else, anything more. If you're if you have those cravings, it's a sign that you're not you haven't eaten enough protein, you haven't eaten enough enough meat. So if you're always waking up hungry and you know, say you've had your, your Cheerios and coffee for breakfast, full of sugar, and it's not Saturday and you get some steak in later on in the day, it really does work. I I just I dare you to try it. Another one then, so number two is nuts. Cashews, almonds, walnuts. Other nuts, they're so, like Brazil nuts, they're all so dense in energy. And just 100 grams of them are going to keep you feeling full for a long, long time. 
because of that combination of protein and fiber and fat within them as well as lots of e-vitamins you've got lots of other more obscure vitamins shall we say and have different ones of different qualities of those so different quantities and um the quality of them will be different as well but they might not seem like much it doesn't seem like much energy in them it doesn't seem like you might get much volume of food but because of all those like essential fatty acids you're getting in them you're gonna be feeling full it's gonna give you lots of energy without putting on too much weight now they are easy to overeat on don't get me wrong so you need to do need to limit your your intake of them i had one client that he said like he didn't junk he didn't he didn't really snack on anything else but you know what because they're so small he just kept eating bags of nuts <laughs> he's like a, he's like a little robin little robin red breast just chipping away at nuts and uh, his weight did actually start to go up which is crazy but this, it's not because uh they weren't sat it's just because he was couldn't stop himself you know he he had a bit but he probably wasn't eating the steak put it that way number three eggs eggs are very very satiating so if you you know you're trying to establish a good nutrition plan something that's you know full of nutrients good dense densely nutrient based and uh, want to keep you going throughout the day i would suggest eating eggs for breakfast not porridge not cheerios not cocoa cocoa pops not wheatabix eggs just they cannot be ignored they're so good for so many reasons they can be eaten on their own you can have an omelet you can have scrambled you can poach them you can boil them you can do anything you want with them but they're so so good for keeping you feeling full for longer and if they don't do a good job for keep, keeping you feeling full for longer have a couple more so if you're having one you're thinking i'm still hungry eat another four or five <laughs> okay eat, eat more eggs you're probably not eating enough i, I get people telling me all the time i ask them what, what do you have for breakfast Oh, I had, had an egg. I'm like, a singular egg? One egg, really? And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, what happened? Like, did, did, were you, were the, was the shop short of eggs? Did they only have like one, one six pack and you're saving them for the week? Get more eggs into you. There's only six, about six or seven grams of protein per egg. There's about, what, anything between 60, 70, 80, 80 calories per, per egg. Like, you can't afford to get them jacked up there. And as I said, you can do an omelette, you can do scrambled you can do them all sorts of varieties it keeps it interesting you can put little bits of uh, seasoning in them you can put herbs in them you can put spices in them you can do all sorts to try and make them more interesting if you need to but yeah eggs for breakfast it's pretty much a non-negotiable another one then this this isn't really um it's a bit of a jump away from the protein and the fats that we've been talking about already but potatoes potatoes are such a great option for keeping you feeling full now, I, sh- I kind of shunned potatoes for a long time. I didn't really eat that many potatoes. I eat, eat probably more now than I used to, but they do keep you feeling full for sure. Even though they're, they're higher in uh, starchy carbohydrates and you know they don't really have protein or fat that much, at least anyway, nothing worth talking about. They are really, really, really satisfying and they will keep you feeling full. So get a steak, get some potatoes and they'll keep you feeling full for hours. Really, really good one. Whatever variety you, you prefer. Myers Piper, King George, quite, I know, there's loads of them, isn't there? So many of them. Eat away at them. And I'm going to give you a bonus one as well. Fish. So, it's very vague, isn't it, fish? But fish, in general, just have so much protein packed into them. Also, lots and lots of omega-3 fatty acids, and which are essential acids, and you need them. Your body needs them. And there was one 2008 study that's been done, and they found that Omega-3 fatty acids could increase the feeling of fullness in people who were overweight or obese. 
So there's science behind it. There's a few. There's one study at least behind it. Um, there's other studies that indicated that protein in fish may have a stronger effect on fullness than even other sources of protein, which is really, really interesting. And on the satiety index, fish scores higher actually than all the other protein-rich foods, including eggs and beef. It's kind of funny how I left this to the end, but interesting. I suppose it's maybe not as readily available as red meat, but and it's maybe more, a little bit more expensive. It's probably similar now. I'm not a meat merchant, but it's probably something similar. So fish actually had the second highest score of all foods that have been tested on the satiety index. Um, another another study compared fish, chicken and beef protein, and the researchers actually found that fish protein had the strongest effect on satiety. So there's several studies here that have been done on fish. So that's why I've thrown it in at the end there. It's another great option. Again, just make sure you're eating plenty of it. Don't be going easy on it. Don't be think, thinking like, you know, saving some for tomorrow. Get it into you. Eat it up. So some final thoughts on fat loss foods. Stick to protein and fibre. Protein, fats and fibre. Mainly protein and fibre. Combine these two nutrients as much as you possibly can. And I guarantee you this will set you up for the most success if you're trying to lose weight. If you're trying to get slimmer waist. Trying to get a little bit, bit, bit more in shape for holidays coming up. Or you're just trying to fit into your favourite clothes again. Protein and fibre. If you... If you want more options, you're like, I don't like any of those things you've said, sir. I don't like red meat. I don't like fish. I don't like eggs. I don't like nuts. I don't like potatoes. Absolutely fine. Google Google protein sources. Google fiber sources. And combine them in as many different combinations as you possibly can. And uh, tell me how it works out for you. I'd be really interested to know. Remember, the goal is to try and get as much many nutrients into you while keeping the calories down. Keeping them under what you need to be be at. Uh, taken in to achieve a calorie deficit so that's one of the most important aspects of your nutrition plan is to make it satiating now you can as i said you can get in a calorie deficit it's important it is possible to do it and to uh, do it in a way that's not gonna you know it's gonna keep you hungry all the time but if you constantly feel hungry if you're if it's if you're waking up hungry if you're going to bed hungry and you're starving you're just not using the correct nutritional plan and I, I don't care what anyone tells you I don't care if it's a Slimming World one a Weight Watchers one whether it's a Michael Mosley brand new revamped keto Mediterranean diet I don't care if that's you you're not you know you're doing something wrong okay there's something lacking in your diet so make sure you try and include those four foods in this if you don't like it try and substitute them but remember the principle that's the most important thing is the principle protein fiber fats okay and in that order of priority increase your protein intake because another reason you want to keep your protein up as i'm always saying is you want to maintain muscle tissue okay so we've all got muscle tissue men and women um doesn't matter how overweight you are how underweight you are we've all got some muscle tissue and if you're going to be in a calorie deficit it means it means your, means your body's going to literally dip into its own tissues for fuel it's going to burn them it's going to self-cannibalize so you want to make sure your body is opting for fat tissue and not muscle tissue do resistance training do heavy strength training and you keep your protein levels up high okay make sense if you have any questions on this if you have any feedback if you've tried it and you're you either had success or you didn't have success and you want to shout at me get in touch i'd love to hear from you i'd love to hear your feedback i'd love to help you if you do need more direction or clarification on any of this the email address is info at crossfunctionalfitness.co.uk and i will get back to you and i might even read it out 
on the, the next show just so we can not, not necessarily name your name if you don't want it um, included but just so other people can learn and I can uh, help more people with questions that you might have now we've got a few news of the week articles to tell you about and the first one is from New Scientist and it was published on the 23rd of February which was Wednesday of this week and it's titled Dog Owners Are Half As Likely To Develop A Disability In Older Age. Older adults who own a dog have a much lower risk of cognitive and physical disabilities but those who own a cat don't have the same benefit. Sorry cat owners. I know there's a few cat owners listening to this and are going to be devastated but you might need to get a dog to go with the cat so you can walk them both. Maybe carry the cat and walk the dog. Just a thought. So, storing things here. People who own a dog have a much lower risk of disability in old age. Cat owners don't seem to be protected in the same way. Unsurprisingly, the benefit is lost if you don't walk your dog. <laughs> so yeah, walking your dog's important. Your dog probably won't live as long either. My dog always wants walked. Always. Like, no matter if he gets walked twice in a day, he won't walk three times in a day. There's just no pleasing him. Anybody else's dog like that? Um, so it says, unsurprising the benefit is lost if you don't walk your dog or take part in another form of exercise more than once a week. So it boils down to exercise. It's not really actually owning a dog. It's not dog her in your house that it's magical and makes you live longer or protect protection from disabilities it's uh, exercise so the national institute for environmental studies in japan they asked around eleven thousand people aged 65 to 84 years old if they currently or previously owned a cat or a dog researchers then tracked the onset of cognitive and physical disability in participants for three and a half years between 2016 2020 2020 probably screwed up their results right enough because um, everybody went walking, didn't they? Because <laughs> they couldn't go anywhere else because they were locked up like slaves. They, they found that current dog owners who exercise more than once a week were around half as likely to develop a disability compared to people who have never owned a dog, even when controlling for age, sex, income and health factors such as smoking, diet and cardiovascular disease. That's what's a really, That sounds like a really good study because... All of those things have a massive impact, right? If you smoke or you drink, like sometimes they'll, they'll do that with um, red meat and they'll, they'll band all red meat together in a study and say it's bad for you. So bacon, sausages, along with sirloin steak, ribeye steak, and they'll say, red meat's bad for you, it gives you cancer because of this. But they'll not take into account that the same people who were eating all of, who said they ate red meat, also happened to smoke, happened to drink, probably took drugs, who knows. They didn't isolate the study. That's the problem. At least this one did. Uh, the team also found that people who owned dogs in the past had around 10% lower chance of disability compared with those who have never owned a dog. Dog walking is a moderate intensity physical activity that appears to have a protective effect on reducing the risk of disability onset. Around 13% of dogs in the UK aren't walked daily. According to a 2019 survey by veterinary charity, the People's Dispensary for Sick Animals, putting animals at risk of obesity and poor mental health. Sometimes I don't actually walk my dog. What I do is I go to a place called the Mutton Bailey in Dremoor and let him off the lead and he does sprint intervals up and down a big hill which is far better than walking because within 15 minutes it's a bit like us doing hit training and going to like one of my classes. Same sort of thing but for dogs and nobody's shouting at them there's no music playing. <laughs> Meanwhile current and former cat owners were just as likely as people who had never owned a cat to develop a disability. But owning a dog had no effect on people's likelihood of dying in the study period, and neither did owning a cat. So that's good. Your cat's not going to kill you. Neither is your dog. 
As increased socialising has been linked to a reduced risk of disability, the team also investigated whether the level of social interaction between dog owners and their neighbours had an effect, but it didn't. This may be because the companionship offered by pet dog by pet dog helps to boost cognitive health and compensate for limited human interaction, the team suggests. Oh, that's interesting. Your cognitive um, health probably takes a decline whenever your dog is outside barking and your neighbours get annoyed and they come around and complain. Which hasn't happened yet to me, thankfully, but it'll probably happen soon. Get a dog. And our second news article, I'm going to stick with the dog theme. It just happens to be one of those weeks. This is from ScienceDaily.com and it is on, it's from the 24th of January actually, I didn't see this until now, but overweight dogs respond well to high protein, high fiber diet, study finds. So summary is, a study of overweight dogs fed a calorie, a reduced calorie diet, high protein, high fiber diet, for 24 weeks found that the dog's body composition and inflammatory markers changed over time in ways that parallel the positive changes seen in humans on similar diets. The dogs achieved a healthier weight without losing too much muscle mass and their serum triglycerates, insulin and inflammatory markers all decreased with weight loss. So it's literally what I've been talking about um, on this, this episode, protein and fibre. And I promise you, I didn't actually find this article until after I finished the rest of the show. I actually just went looking for some interesting news articles there afterwards and this happened to be um, front and centre. So there you go. Works for dogs, works for humans. Tracking your cat, but the same principle is interesting, isn't it? And all those things, all of those inflammatory markers also improved whenever their weight went down and they maintained or helped to preserve as much as they could of their muscle tissue. So it probably, it probably depends largely on um, how severe a calorie deficit, and that's what happens with humans as well. If, if you put yourself in a really strict calorie deficit and you keep your protein high, keep your fiber high, but it's too severe, the calorie restriction is too severe. Also, dogs can't do weight training, so you can do that, so you've got that benefit. And again, another reason to get a dog, because you can test these things on them. I'm only joking, in case there's any um, USPCA or somebody listening. You've got to be kind to your dogs, walk them daily. Does you good, does them good. Everybody's a winner. And our last study is... Again, from Science Daily, and this one is on the 17th of February 2022. And the title is Exercise Can Help Older Adults Retain Their Memories. That's retain, not retrain. Exercise can help older adults retain their memories. So, pulling data from dozens of experiments, let researchers show whose brains benefit the most from exercise. This is by the University of Pittsburgh. And just a quick summary conducting a meta analysis of 3,000 patients over 36 studies, carefully vetted from more than 1,200 studies in all. Psychologists were able to find that specific exercise helps episodic memory. So episodic memory, I had to look that up as well. Episodic memory is the memory of everyday events that can be explicitly stated or conjured. It is the collection of past personal experiences that occurred at particular times and places. For example, uh, the party on one's seventh birthday. So episodic memory three times a week for four months with greater improvements among those who age, uh, are age between 55 to 68 years old. So, really, really interesting. Um, I'm going to try and get some of the details here if I can. We found that um, there were greater improvements in memory among those who were aged 55 to 68 uh, compared with those who were 69 to 85 year old. So, it appears that intervening earlier is better. The team also found the greatest 
effects of exercise in those who hadn't yet experienced any cognitive decline and in studies where participants exercise consistently several times a week. There are still questions that have to be answered. The team's analysis couldn't answer how the intensity of exercise affects the memory benefits and there's still plenty to learn about the mechanism behind the link but the implications for public health are clear. Exercise is inaccessible by Older adults can stay with memory declines, benefiting themselves, their caretakers, and the healthcare system. You just need a good pair of walking shoes and you can get out there and move your body. Well, there's also other studies that suggest that you need to maintain muscle mass. So, walking's not going to be ideal for that. And you can also keep building muscle into your under old age. So, keep doing some strength training, as we talked about last week. But yeah, it's a pretty, pretty wide-ranging study, and... It's interesting that it seems to help you before you notice signs of decline. So if you've got a parent, a grandparent, or yourself, get moving three to four, three times a week for four months, and they're seeing improvements if you're between fifty five to sixty eight. Now I'm sure it might go up to seventy. I'm sure it might go down to fifty or more. But basically, the takeaway is exercise benefits you. It benefits everybody, and the younger you are, I got tweeted this during the week, but it's like investing. And we did an episode on that as well. If you invest now, you invest in your teens, you invest in your 20s, it stands by you in your 30s, 40s, 50s and beyond. So get moving, get exercising. If you don't like strength training, okay. Okay, just do something. Do something. Do something for yourself, do something for your kids, your grandkids, for your friends. Be around for them. Do what you can to make the most of your life and to improve your quality of life but also your quantity of life. Nobody wants Nobody wants to... Um, have that cognitive decline. I mean, it's so sad to watch. If you see it in, in relatives, you see it in aunties and uncles and parents and grandparents. It's so sad to watch. It's so tough for the families. And there's something we can do about it to help stave that off. So why would we not do it? That's my question to you. Okay, it's time for our joke of the week. What's going on Russian, Ukraine and all that heavy stuff? This should give us a little bit of uh, comedy relief. So, I've actually, you might not know this about me, but I've got an irrational fear of speed bumps. Thankfully, I'm slowly getting over it. Ha 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 